You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The dark and light of the crucifixion day. Now, it was the week before the Passover, and sinister clouds were gathering. The Lord knew this, and he knew that his hour was close at hand. Because the time was short, the Lord said to his disciples in John 12, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, Believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. I have come as a light into the world, says Jesus, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Towards the end of that week, the darkness was growing apace as they came together for the one last time. Dark and perilous forces that had been previously unable to overcome the Lord Jesus Christ in face-to-face combat had found a vulnerability in one of his disciples. Now, as always, the Passover took place at the time of the vernal equinox in spring, the time when the length of the day and the night was the same at springtime. In Jerusalem, sunset was around six o'clock in the evening, when, as Mark's gospel records, the sun was gently slipping below the horizon. Mark 14 says, in the evening, Jesus came with the twelve. Now, as they sat and and ate, Jesus said, assuredly, I say unto you, one of you who eats with me, will betray me. The darkness from outside was with the Lord. And there was great consternation. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. The trail of the Lord is a treacherous thing. Now, around nine o'clock, the meal had progressed and the consternation of the disciples had grown. Is it I, Lord? And the Lord subtly gave leave to that traitor in the midst, the one whose heart had been darkened by the love of money, as he handed him the fragment of bread. John 13 says, And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Then Jesus said unto him, what you do, do quickly. Having received the piece of bread, Simon then went out immediately. And John records, and it was night. The darkness, just like in the time of the Exodus, was over the land of Israel. 
Exodus tells us in Exodus 10, there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. It was only because the light of the world was with the disciples in that upper room that they had light. Outside the darkness of Egypt had permeated the thinking of the scribes and the Pharisees of the great dark conspiracy of that night. Yet for just a little while longer, the light was with them. The traitor having been expelled from their midst must have brought a level of relief for a few moments to that little upper room. With the traitor gone, it must have been a little bit more pleasant, but the warm glow of that upper room could not last. The Lord too had to venture out into the dark of that night. It was his lot. We read in Matthew 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's interesting to notice that when they go out into the night, they brought no lights with them on their journey. The light of the world was still with them for a few more hours. It was full moon because that's what it was on the time of the Passover. And there would have been just enough illumination so they could pick their way in the dark. The Lord led them from the upper city through the temple gates, past the temple gates, out of the lower gates of the city, down into the Kidron Valley and across the brook into Gethsemane. On the way, the concern for the Lord Jesus Christ for his flock was extreme. He quotes in Matthew 26 from Zechariah 13 when he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He knew what was coming. It was very hard for the disciples to hold out against the darkness that was brooding. Yet the Lord Jesus Christ, despite what he was about to face, distilled into a couple of chapters in John, some of the most beautiful exhortations to his disciples. From John 13 to John 17, inclusive, were wonderful words of light and hope, delivered on foot, in the dark, as they walked to Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane was a place where John tells us Jesus often met there with his disciples. It was a place that they frequented very often. And having selected three disciples, the Lord Jesus Christ proceeds to pray alone in the darkness, his soul exceeding sorrowful unto death. And he came back to find them unable to keep the watch. Because, brothers and sisters, even faithful disciples fell their Lord. Even faithful disciples fell their Lord. Even when given a second chance to watch. I'm going to pick out some verses from Psalm 143. Because Psalm 143 seems very poignant at this, this point as a descriptor of what Jesus was feeling and saying. 
for the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been long dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I spread out my hands to you, O Yahweh. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Yahweh, because my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Revive me, O Yahweh, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off mine enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. And in that, you see a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in his anguish in the garden. In the darkness of that night, with all the oppression that was placed on him, yet the obligation to serve his master was paramount. So, of course, his loving father heard that prayer. And we know in Luke 22, at verse 43, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. The light of the world itself needed strengthening. They were not alone for very long in that garden. Judas, having probably gone back with the mob to the upper room, found it empty, but he knew where Jesus would be in Gethsemane, because he had been there many times too with his master. And the still of that night with Jesus and his disciples was soon disturbed by the clatter of armed men led by Judas. Mark records that while Jesus was still speaking to his disciples, Judas, one of the twelve with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. How shocking is that the Lord had hardly finished speaking. While he was yet talking to his disciples, he's interrupted by an erstwhile disciple, Judas. And they bring swords and clubs. Why did they bring such a great band? Well, it was because they were not hoping only to claim the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted to claim all the disciples too. And once and for all, stamp out the light of the gospel of Christ and put an end to his teaching. The dark plot was most definitely a joint plot of Jew and Gentile. How do we know this for sure? Well, John has a very interesting addition to the description of this event. In John 18, verse 3, he says, Judas, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, the Synoptic Gospels mention only the swords and the clubs. But the word that's used here of a band of men is used elsewhere in the, in the New Testament. You know where it's used elsewhere in the New Testament? 
In every single occurrence, it refers to a cohort of Roman soldiers. What had happened is the high priests had gone and got a band of the Romans to come along with them. They wanted to make absolutely sure of the arrest. Furthermore, it was the Romans that carried the swords and the Jews, the temple guard, carried the wooden clubs. That was their weapon. It was the Romans who carried the lanterns and the Jews carried the torches and the word is oil lamps. How ironic is this? Together, Jew and Gentile with darkened, ignorant minds had to bring light with them to arrest the light of the world, who had no other light except what was in him. They were altogether darkness. He was altogether light. What an irony. As Matthew 6 says, of them and of others like them, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And it was certainly great, people who came to arrest Jesus. Despite the, their best planning and preparation, what was going to happen next was completely unexpected. Jesus stepped forward to the mob. He didn't try and retract himself. He stepped forward to the mob and asked them who they were looking for. Of course, this scornful answer came back. Oh, Jesus, the Nazarene, that one from the north, that re repulsive part of the country. And Judas confirmed it with a kiss. How long had Jesus been with them? Teaching in their synagogues caring for their poor and needy, healing their sick. Yet how few could identify the face of Jesus in the dark of that night. They never really knew him at all, did they? John's record adds a critical observation. As Jesus said, comes to present himself to them, John 18 verse 6 says, as soon as Jesus said to them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. The arresting people fell backwards when Jesus just simply declared that he was the one they were seeking. Do you know something? The disciples had experienced something like this before. This was not unique. They'd experienced it straight after the transfiguration. When we read in Luke 9.43, they were all amazed at the majesty of God. The word amazed means to strike with astonishment. They were so struck by Jesus, they went backwards because of the brightness of his visage. And it was also the same on this occasion. It was the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the true light of the world, that shone forth and repelled the power of darkness without even lifting a sword, and they all fall back, fell backwards. How did this happen? Well, it happened because in the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 42, when the angel came to the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel starts off as being, verse 5 of Psalm 42, the help of his countenance, Jesus' face, 
But he progresses in verse 11 to be the health of his countenance. The angel gave Jesus that wonderful glow again of trust like he had at the time of the transfiguration. Here was a foretaste that the disciples could see of the full victory of light over darkness. Psalm 27 actually supports this, and not only the two opening verses. Psalm 27 actually supports this, this wonderful idea. It says in verse 1, Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, mine enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Isn't that beautiful? In this messianic psalm, when they come against him, they couldn't stand against the light of the world, despite their swords and their clubs. Just the light of the goodness of Christ caused them to fall backwards. Jesus was fully in charge of the circumstance, make no mistake. And he did so to let the disciples escape, that it should be fulfilled that he should lose none except the son of perdition. And they all dissolved off into the night. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him away. We do know two disciples followed at a distance, though, don't we? It was John, Mark, and Peter. The problem is John Mark was soon accosted by these uh, rough people, and they grabbed him, and he fled off into the dark, leaving behind his outer coat. And they left Peter alone to follow Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, even faithful disciples, fail their Lord. It was midnight, and they took Jesus now in the middle of the night, the time of greatest darkness, into the palace of the high priest, where he was first cross-examined by Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. They started making preparations for a midnight cross-examination of Jesus, the darkest hour of night. You know, that evil intrigue and hatred for the Lord so overrode their legality, that they were prepared to break the law for what they did. It was illegal to conduct a proceeding like that under the Jewish law because they weren't allowed to do so in the dark. It true to form, they proceeded because their deeds were dark. John 13, Jesus said, light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. How true it was of those arresting people and the Sanhedrin. All these evil deeds were played out in a mockery of a pre-trial. And in that time, that last disciple, Peter, crept in from the cold of the dark of that night to warm himself at the fire in the high priest's house. And we know that as he stood there, the light of that fire danced on Peter's face. In a period of just over an hour, three witnesses 
and like under the law, three witnesses independently confirmed that he was a Nazarene too. And of course, Peter denied three times. And then the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. He had seen it all. And the Lord turned and looked. Now, what does it say? Like John Mark, Peter then fled out into the dark of that night. Peter went out, it says, and wept bitterly. He too now was scattered like the other sheep. Because brothers and sisters, even faithful disciples, fell their Lord. So having exhausted all his options, Caiaphas began the formal trial of Jesus with the great Sanhedrin of 70 or 71 members. It was illegal except during the hours of light between sunrise and sunset. It was illegal on a feast day. It was illegal on a capital charge without 40 days of preparation. And it was illegal on the days of preparation for the Passover. But that didn't matter to them because they were altogether dark. They were prepared to break their own rules because their hearts were darkened from seeing the light of the world. Now at sunrise of the crucifixion day at 6 a.m., with the rising of the sun, the great Sanhedrin met for a second time because they'd beaten and abused and convicted an innocent man during the hours of darkness, they had to meet in the dawn to pretend that they were meeting legally and to validate their decision. It was the preparation of the Passover. They needed to get Pilate to act fast. So with the dawning of the sun and no doubt witnessing that horrific extrajudicial event of the night before, the cold light of day dawned on the face of the disciple, Judas Iscariot. He had seen his master was truly the light of the world. And he went out and hanged himself. And that unfaithful disciple, unfortunately, willfully failed his master. And for him is only eternal darkness. No more light for Judas. By the early morning, the news of all of this commotion had reached Pilate's house. Jesus was dragged very quickly before Pilate, who, after interrogation and no doubt the influence of his wife's dream, declared Jesus unworthy of death. But the Jews needed the Romans to kill him, and to kill him quickly, because the Passover was drawing on. So they trumped up charges that Pilate couldn't ignore. But Pilate, again, after investigating these, found him unworthy of death and tried to offload the problem to Herod. And Herod, of course, maltreated him and then returned him to Pilate once again. Pilate then tried to swap Barabbas. Surely you wouldn't want Barabbas, who's condemned to death. And as we know, they chose Barabbas. After finding Jesus not guilty six times, Pilate washed his hands of the issue and signed over Jesus to the evil process of crucifixion, a time of unspeakable brutality and barbarity. Our sleep-deprived, exhausted Lord 
bleeding and bruised, aching the most terrible pain from head to toe. Now I had to drag his heavy cross through that Damascus gate on the north and onto Golgotha. And then as we've read, it was nine o'clock in the morning. It was the third hour of the day and they crucified him. At 9 a.m. our Lord was stripped naked and appelled on that stake at the place of the skull. The full shame of Adam was laid bare on him, the bright light of day allowing all to look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, the ignominy of what he had to go through, hanging naked in pain on that cross with a sign above him in all the languages of the day, this is the king of the Jews. As the hours rolled on and the sun baked down on him, that searing pain and the dreadful thirst were unspeakable. Yet all this time, Jesus' thoughts were for his disciples, for those gathered at the foot of the cross, for the criminal crucified beside him, and for the fulfillment of all the purpose that God had given him to complete. And then we read, from noon to three o'clock, we read it in our reading today, heaven's anger at the maltreatment of the Son of God was brooding like a gathering storm. Dense darkness descended from noontime. It came from God and it veiled the natural sun. His anger kindled against both Jewish and Gentile co-conspirators. As Jesus' struggle deepened, the darkness grew thick like the darkness of Egypt as Yahweh and his angels acted. The prophecy of Zechariah, as we started reading from in Zechariah 13, has good application in Zechariah 14. Thus saith Yahweh, my God will come and all the saints with you. And it shall come to pass in that day, there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It will be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. And so this half-twilight darkened world happened at the behest of God. Until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The darkness grew until that great crescendo. Suddenly out of the darkness, the Lord Jesus, Christ, Lord Jesus Christ cried with a loud voice saying, it is finished. The completion of all that God had asked him to do, it is done. All standing by heard him say those words. And all that slept in the graves nearby in Jerusalem also heard those words. Had darkness finally triumphed over light? Had darkness apprehended the light of heaven itself? Of course not. John 1 had said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. At 3 p.m., after all that intense darkness, 
it was suddenly lifted and dispelled by the radiance of heaven's glory as God spoke in force and might, shaking the earth with the mighty earthquake, like in Zechariah. An earthquake of judgment that rent the veil from the top to the bottom, tearing mighty rocks apart, rolling stones away that barred the graves of many of those who had died in Christ. In an instant, that gross darkness that had covered the land was replaced by that searing light of heaven that shone down like a spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had separated light from darkness and all that he did. And now again, in his final act as the Son of Man. When the Roman centurion stood by and saw all of this happening, he said, yes, truly this was the Son of God. He could identify it, illuminated by the heavenly light for all to see. The kind of glory that had left the temple was now shining on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, who now hung perfectly still like Moses' brass serpent on the stake, still and lifeless. Sin had been conquered. And there it was highlighted for all to see. The battle of sin over sin was now over. So at the end of this really dark day, the day of crucifixion, it was light in every sense of the word. Do you know what Zechariah's prophecy continues to say? How beautiful is this? At the end of the mighty earthquake and the dim light, it says, at evening time, it shall happen that it will be light. Have you ever thought about what that means? In the context of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the evening was rolling on, as the darkness of those three hours had been lifted, that the natural darkness was coming, there was this great light from Yahweh validating the Son of God, the light of the world. And it shone bright like the day. It wasn't just the removal of darkness, brothers and sisters. It was the bright shining confirmation of heaven's own light. And what of the graves that were opened? Well, it was a special Sabbath day, wasn't it? The Passover was drawing on. None of those that saw it would have dared defile themselves with the dead bodies and resealed the tombs because it would have made them ineligible for the Passover. So those in the disturbed graves waited with their Lord for the three days to be completed. They had heard the voice of Jesus in the true sense of John 5, 28. And then after their Lord was raised, they too were raised as a living testimony to the resurrection of the Lord of light and life. We read of this in Matthew 27, where it says the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Some commentators and some versions have that they came out of the graves after his resurrection of them. Wouldn't that be beautiful that the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected and his act was to raise up these people 
who of course weren't raised eternally, but they were raised by him to go as a testimony into all the earth. This concurrence is absolutely spectacular because we know there's a prophecy that says this. In Isaiah 26 at verse 19, we read, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Isn't that beautiful? That the dead in Christ, together with Christ's dead body, were going to arise. Here's a prophecy of these who are due to be testimony to the risen Christ, already given for us in Isaiah 26. And here they were, walking amongst the living, testimony to the life of Christ. And so that picture of many sons being brought to glory was now etched onto their minds indelibly as people then went out into all the world and set the world on fire with the truly good news of the resurrection of the Son of Light. Truly death has been swallowed up in victory and the Lord of Light has eternally banished darkness for the sons of light. So as we come to consider then our Lord and the emblems, what should we take with us into the week ahead? Well, my brothers and sisters, darkness is the absence of light. Darkness has got absolutely no value of its own. It is mere emptiness. Yet light always dispels darkness. It's physically impossible for darkness to triumph over light, even the smallest of light. And so in the natural, so much more in the spiritual. Light will always win in the end, even over the darkness of death itself. We have that assurance. The second thing we must take into the week ahead is that even faithful disciples who are following in the light can fail their Lord and sometimes flee into the darkness of this world. Yet it's the comforting look of the Lord Jesus Christ and the light of his countenance that brings us back. And then finally, as ignorant Gentiles, we are those who have seen a great light. We are now light in the Lord, as Paul tells the Ephesians. Therefore, we need to walk as children of the light, having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. See, there's no middle ground between light and dark. If there's darkness, there's no light. You can't have light and darkness. It's one or the other. So as the darkness of this world's day comes to a close, and all the things that make us fret and disturb us, the darkness of foolishness and of evil, we, of all people, can rest in peaceful confidence that once again, at evening time, it shall happen, that it will be, will be light. We are sure of this. And our prayer then is, even so arise, son of righteousness, arise for us and never set. Amen.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.